Well, it's so good to be with you on this New Year's Eve. And as we get started, I wanted to take a quick survey. So just by show of hands, how many out there love making goals around this time of the year? Just raise your hand. All right, we've got a few of us. And how many of us on the other side hate making goals? Like that is just not your thing. All right. So I can actually relate to both sides of the camp there because during this season, I know for sure, at least for myself, there's a sense of newness and possibility that we're sucked into, right? For some of us, we think to ourselves, this year is going to be different. I found myself thinking that exact same thought this time last year. And I told myself, hey, I'm going to get back into shape. I'm going to get back into marathon running shape, of all things. And so what do you think I did? Well, I showed up at the gym. I went to LA Fitness. I forked over my cash. There was an amazing New Year's deal that they were giving us. And, you know, the trainers were like, yeah, sure, we'll take your cash. We love you. We love people like you, people full of drive and commitment and passion, people who want to pay up front for an entire year of services, people who just show up then for two weeks. Well, I showed them up. I came for four weeks. I got myself the deal of a lifetime, four whole weeks, entire year of payments. Well, whether you're a goal maker or you're a goal hater because you've done stuff like me and you've learned from your mistakes, the truth is once this season passes, we're all kicked back into this normal mundane, the drone of the everyday. And in that place, oftentimes we face this daily grind that eventually gets us stuck, right? We don't know how to get unstuck. And so we, we grind it out. Our wheels are spinning in the mud, and we try to go forward, we try to reverse backward, but we don't know how to change, right? And so I wonder, like, how, how do you actually access the change that you can't reach on your own? How do you get feedback to move towards that change? And how will this year be any different from last year? Because we're all bound to run into ourselves at some point in this next year. Maybe you've already done that and you find yourself stuck. When I look at my own life, there's an internal resistance to change. Sometimes it's my pride or my stubbornness. It could be just a general lack of self-awareness. Whatever it is, I kind of find myself going nowhere. Scripture tells us that the way of fools seems right to them, but the wise listen to advice. It's from Proverbs 12, 15. So there's this story of a man who was actually a part of Gateway North Campus before he moved out of the city of Austin. This was a man who found himself stuck, wheels spinning in the mud, not really knowing where to go. And this person decided to get advice, to seek out feedback. His name is Ja. And Ja tells the story of being stuck. There's two versions of himself. One version, which is what we'll call the six-year-old version of Ja. This version is stuck with rejection and fear. He can't get out of the mud. And then there's this other version, the 14-year-old version of Ja who's a dreamer, a visionary, who wants to accomplish change in his life, and he, 
often throughout his young adult life finds himself stuck in between these two versions, the six-year-old version and this 14-year-old version. And we'll jump back into the six-year-old version first. Like this one day he shows up to class and his teacher decides that they're going to do something very different that day. She walks to the front of the classroom and says, hey class, we're going to do something that is going to require a little bit of something different from you. We're going to invite you. I'm actually going to call you up one by one, and you're going to stand in front of the classroom, in front of all your peers, and we're going to encourage you, and we'll all take turns doing that. Now, remember, this is a a room full of six-year-olds. I mean, what could go wrong, right? (laughs) So Ja actually remembers the first few people walking up to the front of the class. It went well. He he even recalls cheering on some of his friends. But then half of the classroom goes by, and then another 10 more. And then finally, at number 37, Jaw is called up. And at this point, everybody is so tired of making up stuff to compliment their friends about. And so the teacher is kind of fidgeting and, and worrying. Jaw walks up to the front of the classroom, settles his feet. He looks out to all his peers. And what he hears next rocks him. It's this loud, deafening silence. Here's nothing. And the teacher tries to cull it out from the the class. She's like, well, don't you have anything nice to say to Ja? Again, nothing. And in that moment, a lone voice breaks through. Ja hears this six-year-old voice inside of him saying, well, you're good for nothing. You have nothing to offer this world. Why are you here? And I wonder how many of us have our own six-year-old versions of ourselves telling us that we have nothing good to offer this world. What does it say to you? Is it a voice that tells you that you're trapped in your past? A voice that says you are no good? Well, let's fast forward eight years, and now we're going to meet 14-year-old Ja. This Ja hears of someone incredible visiting his hometown of Beijing. And he gets excited because it's, it's Bill Gates, the founder of Microsoft, a person who's revered across all different countries for his ingenuity, for his innovation around technology. And so he circles the date for his keynote speech, the one that Bill Gates is going to give, and he shows up, he listens, he gets inspired, he wants to go after this grand vision, and he writes a letter in Chinese to his parents. Of course, most of us won't be able to read that letter, but sprinkled throughout are the English words Microsoft, Microsoft, Microsoft. And Basically, he's trying to communicate to his parents that one day, I want to become a business person that purchases Microsoft from Bill Gates. That's his vision for life. And it's an incredible one, right? Like, he wants to dream large. But throughout a good portion of his young adult life, Josh struggles between this six-year-old version of himself, he's trapped in fear and rejection, And then this 14-year-old version of himself who wants to dream for something different, for a change that he can't quite access on his own. 
And he discovers that every time he wants to go after a goal, he finds that this six-year-old version of himself wins out. It always keeps him back because you are no good, Ja. So what does he do? What would you do? One day after pursuing his career for several years and feeling stuck, Ja decides to make a two-degree shift in his life. It's a small change, but a really significant one. He reaches out for feedback. And of course, he starts where any of us would. He goes to Google. That's the answer for all of our questions these days. And he discovers this experiment called rejection therapy. He actually owns the website now, rejectiontherapy.com. And this experiment actually calls him to do 100 years, or not 100 years, 100 days, 100 days of seeking out rejection, seeking out feedback in the form of no. And so he invites people around his community to do the most ridiculous things in the world. Just a few examples. Uh, one day, you know how we go into like a P. Terry's or Chick-fil-A and they, they give you free refills? Um, he decides that he wants a burger refill. So he walks up to the counter and says, hey, can I have a refill on my burger? And then another instance, he goes to a Krispy Kreme. He walks up to the cash register lady and he says, I'd love to have a donut in the shape of the Olympic rings. The lady replies back, oh, well, how many rings are in the Olympic rings? How many this year? It's always five. <laughs> but they Google it. They find out the answer. And incredibly, she actually produces this for him. Uh, another instance is he goes to a neighbor and asks, can I plant this flower in your backyard? <laughs> These are like crazy, crazy experiments, but he does it. He seeks out feedback, and, he, and eventually he begins to discover more about himself, about others, about how he can interact with this world. And as he does that, he begins to access a change that he could never reach on his own. He begins to see things differently. He lives at this oblique angle against the status quo, and he engages a community, some of them strangers, some of them friends and family. And eventually, he begins to shift out of the six-year-old version of himself and into the 14-year-old version, the dreamer inside of him. And slowly but surely, he begins to fulfill this dream. Now, he never does purchase Microsoft from Bill Gates, but he does become a successful entrepreneur a sought-after business consultant. And eventually, he even occupies the stage of the TED Talks. He experiences incredible change because of two degrees of shift. He gets feedback from his community. What would it look like for you to get feedback in your life, to access change, to make a surgical two-degree shift in your life to step into that impossible thing, that dream that God has given you, where only God's faithfulness, only God's calling will bring you through. You see, without feedback, we're destined to run into ourselves, to play small, like that six-year-old voice inside of each one of us. Because there's only so much that we can do with that, without feedback. You know, we have blind spots, limited perspective, LeBron wouldn't be LeBron James if he didn't have coaches and mentors helping to shape his NBA game. And for those UT fans out there, Kevin Durant is not as good as LeBron quite yet. He might supplant him one day, but not yet. 
Meryl Streep is an incredible actress. She has earned the respect of all different types of generations. But she wouldn't be the actor that she is today without voice coaches, without people constantly helping her to shape her craft. How much more do we need feedback if we want to see change as we follow after Jesus? The way of fools seems right to them, but the wise listen to advice. So if it's God's intention for us to live in community, to have a home team that speaks and supports us, that shares love and truth to us, then why do we have such a hard time like, really seeking out feedback? Why do we ignore it at times? Why do we fail to seek it out? Well, to get into that question, we're going to look at scripture. We're going to look at the story of Moses. And I love scripture because it is full of stories of people just like you and me, just like Ja, people who are stuck with six-year-old voices ruling their lives. And we can learn from their examples, both good and bad. In the story of Moses, we see someone who is stuck, someone who just doesn't know how to get out of his own rut. And we're going to find out why in a moment, but just... Before we get too far into his story, a little bit of background on Moses. For the first 40 years of his life, Moses lived in the lap of luxury. He was the Egyptian prince. Scripture doesn't give much attention to this part of his life, but we know that he lived large. But this wasn't always the case. He was not always royalty. In fact, his life began far, far away from the palace because he was in an Egyptian by birth. He was a Jewish boy. Born into a culture and a context where the pharaoh of his day had actually begun to develop fear for this people that were in Egypt. And so out of fear, he decides that he's going to enact genocide to an entire generation of baby Jewish individuals. Moses only survives this bloodshed, because his mom decides to put him in a wicker basket one day, and, and she floats him down the river. And as he's going down the river, an Egyptian princess, of all people, discovers him, takes him out of the basket, decides to adopt him into the royal family. And that's how he lives for the first 40 years of his life. This is crazy. I mean... A person who should have been killed because of the Pharaoh is now a part of the royal family. So for years, entire decades, Moses enjoys the trappings of this royal life, but slowly he begins to discover who he really is. I mean, he must have gone on Ancestry.com and, you know, <laughs> discovered that he has Jewish heritage. And all of a sudden he starts realizing that his people are actually enslaved to the Egyptians. And he, he starts to empathize with their plight. He starts to develop feelings for this people. And that quickly turns into some anger, confusion, even resentment. And this is a crucial turning point inside of Moses' life. He has the opportunity to use his privilege, his position, to help the Jews become free. So what does he do? 
In Exodus chapter 2, verse 12, we pick up his story. So he, Moses, looked this way. Oh, I jumped ahead. In verse 11, it says, Now it came about in those days when Moses had grown up that he went out to his brethren. He looked on their hard labors, and he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his own. And then he looks this way and that. When he saw that there was no one around, he struck down the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. In the midst of oppression and injustice, Moses decides to act. He takes justice into his own hands. And don't get me wrong, there's something really right and beautiful about Moses' heart right now. He wants to see justice corrected, injustice corrected. He wants to see evil made right. But he's lacking something. He fails to seek feedback from people who could inform his action. And we don't know why. Scripture actually doesn't fill in the blank here. But we do know that thinking that he might be able to rescue the Jews or help them, angry at the injustice that he sees, he, la he lashes out at this Egyptian and he kills him in cold blood. He doesn't get feedback. And, and so he opts for the best thing that he knows with self-confidence, with a, an assurance about himself. He opts for an eye for an eye, and the whole world's blind. The way of fools seems right to them, but the wise listen to advice. And I know this may sound a little bit harsh, but in this moment, Moses is a complete fool. He's a complete and utter fool. I mean, imagine what could have happened if he actually reached out to community for feedback. Maybe he could have used his position to work for the freedom of the Jews as the adopted son of Egypt. Imagine what that could have looked like. He had access to the Pharaoh, to the royal court that Jewish people could only dream of. He could have been like another person in the future history of Israel, someone like an Esther who did use her position to help save the Jews in her own time. Instead, Moses plays the part of the fool. He fails to seek feedback. He doesn't even have trusted friends that he can turn to at this point. And so he runs into himself. He gets stuck in that rut. The six-year-old voice starts to tell him a certain message. In verse 13, it says, He went out the next day, and behold, two Hebrews were fighting with each other. And he said to the offender, Why are you striking your companion? But he, the other Jewish person, said, who made you prince or judge over, over us? Are you intending to kill me like you did that Egyptian? So instead of becoming the champion of the Jews, Moses gets stuck in the six-year-old version of himself. And he has no idea how to access the dreamer inside of him. Instead of becoming the champion of the Jews, Moses is just stuck in between these two versions. And he murders an Egyptian in the process. So with now more blood on the ground, he can't stay with Egyptians anymore because, well, he just killed one of their own, one of his own. And he can't stay with the Jewish people either because now they fear him. They distrust him. And so he's strapped. He's standing in front of the classroom with peers, Egyptians and Jews alike. He doesn't know where to turn. And a voice that will haunt him for the rest of the next 40 years starts to show up. You're not good. What do you have to offer 
We don't want you. So what does he do? He starts to shrink back. He steps fully into this six-year-old, small version of himself. I wonder how many of you have shrunk back? How many of you have found yourself trapped in the mud? Moses actually flees into the wilderness where he spends the next 40 years of his life. How long have you been wandering in your wilderness? Well, this past year, I actually found myself in my own version of that. Uh, Something incredible happened. My wife and I, we welcomed our our baby girl, Adeline, into the world. She's our first baron. We love her. Amazing. That is not the bad thing that happened. (laughs) And I got permission to share this next part from Gloria. As we were trying to make sense of how to be husband and wife and stepping into parenthood together, we discovered that we were just vastly unprepared. We weren't ready for the poop and the diapers and everything else that comes with babies and newborns. And so what started as a little bit of, you know, tension then spiraled into, well, if only you told me to do this. And if if you did or said that, and we started bickering and arguing, and that became a regular every day. And I didn't know how to get out of that until I decided to reach out for feedback. I started calling some of my friends, husbands who have gone through this. I started trying to talk with my wife a little bit more and asking, hey, what's working, what's not? And as we discovered life after feedback, we began to see some change in our lives. And we're in a much better place now, but it, it took the courage for us to actually do that together, for me to say yes to feedback. What's the six-year-old version? What's the six-year-old voice inside of you that holds you back? What does she sound like? What does he say to you day after day after day? Maybe you're thinking that you're stuck in the past or you're trying to save your marriage and you've done everything that you know to do, but you still find yourself stuck. Perhaps it's an impossible challenge set before you. Sometime throughout the next year, I know we will find ourselves in a place where we don't know where to turn anymore. And in those moments, many of us will muster up our courage. The best things that we know to do with conviction, with certainty, we will act. Right? We will do our best to right the wrongs, to smooth things over, but then it backfires on us. And when that happens, what is our natural inclination? What's yours? I mean, mine is to run away, to run into my own wilderness, to hide, to revert back to the six-year-old version where, yeah, John, you are not good enough. You see, without feedback, we assign ourselves to a self-imposed wilderness. And there, we languish. Our bodies waste away. We find ourselves in the rut. We stall out, and we keep stalling out over and over again. The way of fools seems right to them, but the wise listen to advice. So what holds us back? Well, for me, I know the first thing is pride. I know that I'm right. I know what to do, and I don't care what anyone has to say. I've already figured it out. 
And that's compounded with stubbornness that I can figure it out on my own. And our culture has kind of this weird way of celebrating a certain kind of stubbornness. It's the Lone Ranger mentality. The man or the woman who can figure it out all by themselves. But the truth is we, we are meant to live in community, to have people speak into our lives with truth and with love. Others of us might struggle with a false sense of maturity. We've been going to church all our lives. We've been following Jesus for some time. And so we think to ourselves, yeah, we've got this figured out. We know what to do. But newsflash, we are all in process. We have n none of us have fully arrived. We haven't figured it all out. This side of heaven, and until you and I die, God will always be shaping us. The question is, are you open to his spirit moving in you? Will you say yes to his invitation? Will you learn to die to yourself and discover another version of yourself, one that God has always intended for you to be, one that he's created for you to step into? Others of us have experienced unsolicited feedback. Some of you guys know exactly what I'm talking about. Uh, there was this one instance where um, I, I was just working, and this was not at Gateway, but my supervisor called me up one time, and she gave me a form of unsolicited feedback. And she had not actually taken the time to look at all the different things that I had done and already accomplished. And so she's berating me for things that I've already done. And I get really angry at that moment because I'm like, why are you giving me this feedback? This is, this is horrible, right? I, and I've already done what you've, you've tried to point to in this conversation. And so... I don't know, maybe for some of you, you've received that kind of feedback from a close one. And that negative feedback has caused you to actually shut yourself off to all feedback, no matter what form it comes. But there are, are things like good feedback, and we need that. We need to be open to that. Um, any of those reasons, right, could have held back Moses, could have held back you or me. But the thing about it is being stuck is not a good thing. Case in point, um, oftentimes when I try to seek out feedback and I'm stuck, I protect myself. I've learned to seek out feedback where I only get good feedback. And my wife will tell you that I'm an expert at this. <laughs> like if you've got good feedback for this message later on today, I'd love to see you in the lobby right afterwards. Please, I mean, I'd love to just bask in it. But if you have negative feedback for this message, I've got something special for you. I have an email set up. It's called I don't care at gmail.com. <laughs> because the six-year-old version inside of me really doesn't care. But the six-year-old versions inside of us really don't get far in life, do they? If we're always shutting ourselves off from feedback, the feedback that we need to access the change that we can't reach on our own, then we will never get unstuck. And being stuck eventually leads to our own destruction. God actually warns us in scripture. Check out what he says in Hosea 4.6. My people are destroyed from lack of knowledge. My people are destroyed from lack of knowledge. That is chilling. Right? There is a kind of destruction that we can experience when we shut ourselves off. So how do we move forward when we don't even know how to move forward anymore? 
Let's jump back into the story of Moses real quick. We're going to fast forward a bit. And as we return to Moses, we're going to see this 14-year-old version. And again, this is not really Moses at 14 years old. But now he's accessed a certain kind of change. He's moved past this burning bush moment where God calls him to rescue the Jews. He's learned to receive feedback, not, not just from God, but also from his family, from his community. With Aaron helping him to lead the people, with Miriam shaping who he is and what he does as a leader. He's actually rescued the, the Jews from Egypt now. And they're on a journey to the promised land, to something new, to something incredible. And by all accounts, it looks like Moses has fully become the dreamer that he once envisioned himself to be. He stepped into his calling. And it's led him to this point. Moses and the Jews are outside of captivity. They're traveling through the wilderness again. And it seems like he's arrived. He's got this job security because the people are always complaining. So he's always got to lead them and listen to their complaints. The demands don't seem to stop. And as he leads this massive group of people who were formerly enslaved, he begins to max out his current potential. At this point, Moses decides to reach out for feedback again. He gets together with his father-in-law, of all people, Jethro. And in-laws, let's be honest, sometimes are really hard to listen to. <laughs> but he does it. He shares with Jethro all that God is doing, and he invites him to observe his leadership, to give him feedback. In Exodus 18, 13 to 14, scripture tells us, it came about the next day that Moses sat to judge the people, and the people stood about Moses from morning until evening. Now when Moses' father-in-law saw all that he was doing for the people, he said, what is this thing you are doing for the people? Why do you alone sit as judge? And the people stand all around you from morning until evening. The thing that you are doing is not good. Now listen to me. When I read those words, something inside of me wants to react. If I were Moses, I would almost be saying, well, wait a second. Hold on. Like, I'm not good enough. What I'm doing is not good. What do you mean? Do you see how easy it is for our six-year-old voice to take over again, even when we've already gotten unstuck? But Moses has changed, and he keeps on changing. He learns to dial into feedback for a lifetime. Verse 24 tells us, Moses listened to his father-in-law and did all that he had said. And so Moses changes. He accesses another part of his potential, another part of who God calls him to be. And the entire nation of Israel has changed, right? He even allows others to step into leadership so that it's not just him who's helping, but other people get to step into their calling too. How does Moses get there? How do you and I get there? Well, the first thing around getting feedback is, well, you have to surround yourself with a home team, people that you intentionally invite into your life to give you feedback, to speak truth and love into your life. And if you don't know who those people are, pray for God's provision. They may be people you already know, people that you're serving with on a Sunday, people in your life group or your running partners, those who journey alongside of you. Secondly, seek and listen to feedback. For some of you, you've been on this faith journey and you've had some doubts and you've had some questions, but you haven't really done much with it. What if in this next year you stepped into this incredible thing that we're doing called Alpha? where you begin to surround yourself with community who are asking the exact same questions, trying to discover who God is, who Jesus is, and what God's dreams are for you. 
Or perhaps you find yourself caught up in a rut. Maybe for you, it might be stepping into recovery to overcome some of the hurts in your life. Thirdly, as you receive that feedback, test it out. See if it's good. See if it leads to more life. And if it does, finally live it out. Live it out two degrees at a time. Again, two degrees is not that much, but this is what Moses does. This is what Jah does. They learn to receive feedback. And two degrees doesn't sound like much, does it? It's really small, but it can be super significant. Scientists who have studied the Earth's axis actually tell us that the Earth does not rotate on a fixed axis. There is a shift of two degrees that happens over hundreds and thousands of years. It's that two degree shift that have gone on to produce things like the Ice Age, which then shape our geology, which give us our rivers, our mountains, our valleys. Two degrees of change over the long haul can make an incredible difference in your life. So what would that look like for you? Bill Gates once said, we underestimate what we can accomplish, or we overestimate what we can accomplish in one year, but we underestimate what we can accomplish in 10 years. The journey won't always be easy when you're seeking out change and receiving feedback. But the truth is, no change that ever really is important is easy. The author T.E. Lawrence writes, all men and women dream, but not equally. Those who dream by night in the dusty recesses of their mind wake in the day to find that it was vanity. But the dreamers of the day are dangerous men and women, for they act out their dreams with open eyes to make it possible. He goes on to write, this is what I did. So in this new year, let's be dreamers of the day. People who live out their dreams with open eyes, who say goodbye to the six-year-old voice that keeps us trapped, who decide to live two degrees of change at a time, who step into that 14-year-old vision, but we don't stay there. We move past it. We step into maturity, and we say yes to who God calls us to be. So my question in this new year for you is, Who's on your home team? Are you listening? God invites you. He says, behold, I am making all things new. Will you step into that new thing this year? Will you seek out feedback?